Good evening. Good to see you all this evening. Welcome to anyone joining us in the live stream as well. We're here to meet with the Lord, and he is the one who calls us to worship him. So let's stand and hear him call us now. These words from our gracious Father, from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Let's praise the Lord now with number 76 in the hymnal. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. gracious God and our merciful Father. You are not only like a Father, but you are our Father. You revealed yourself to us so clearly as our gracious Father who loves us and cares for us, preserves us and protects us in the pages of Scripture. You've made yourself known as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ, your dear Son, you've made us your sons. Thank you for drawing us into your family for calling us out of our slavery to sin 
our slavery to death, our slavery to the evil one, and freeing us to be part of your glorious family, part of your covenant of grace. Lord, as we come to worship you tonight, we are not, um, we are not mindful of, of half the mercies you've shown us. Uh, Lord, Lord, you have shown us riches beyond our comprehension of your grace in Christ. And so you are worthy, O Lord, of an eternity of praise and worship. And so we would give you now this hour with wholehearted devotion to you and offering ourselves to you sincerely and completely. We pray that you would hear us, that you pray you'd accept our worship by your Son. We pray that you bless us also. We are, we are here to, to meet with you and to receive blessing from your hand. We're here because we need your grace. We need it for the week ahead, for, for a life of obedience and, and sacrifice and love for you and love for others. We need your grace. So fill us up once again and feed us on Christ. All this we ask for his sake. Amen. Let's sing again. Our next hymn is This Is My Father's World. It's number 111. I'll play through the file here once, and then we'll join in and sing. my father's world and to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres this is my father's world I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear Him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget. That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world, the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to the throne of grace, are there any prayer requests or praises you'd like to share? Yes, Donna.
Let's join our hearts together with one voice and seek God's presence. Our Father, high and lifted up, our King and our God, you are seated on a throne of glory in the highest heaven. And we bow before you with humble reverence. You are holy. You are the creator, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And yet, O Lord, you have called us to yourself as your children, and you've given us uh, in covenant with you the sweet fellowship that we have with you. And you have given us the forgiveness of our sins and boldness to approach your throne of grace through our great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a gracious and bountiful and compassionate Father. So we, we draw near to you with our confidence in this, that you hear us for Christ's sake, that you welcome us for his sake, and that you delight to do us good, and that you will do more than we can ask or think, that if we ask you for uh, uh, a bread, you will not give us a stone. You will give what is good. Father, we join our prayers uh, to you with hearts full of love for one another as brothers and sisters, seeking your throne of grace together, seeking the blessings that are ours in Christ together. Lord, above all, we would desire your glory. We would desire that your name would be set apart and made holy, that the whole world would recognize your glory and bow to your, your, your honor and, and would lift you up and set you apart as holy. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that, that the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ would continue to expand and to grow, that your church would grow. Father, we pray also that your will would be done among us, that as the angels obey you in heaven, we would obey you here on earth, that as the saints triumphant uh, submit to you in everything, so we, the saints militant, would submit to you in everything. Help us to, to, uh, to follow your gracious rules, to trust your good will for our lives. Father, we pray that uh, you would help us, that you would provide our, our needs for us, that you'd give us, indeed, our daily bread, that we wouldn't worry about the future, we wouldn't worry about what tomorrow might bring, but we would have confidence that as you are our Father, you will graciously provide all things. We humbly ask that you'd open your bountiful hand to us and, and provide for every need that we have, and that we would constantly depend on you. Give us, give us everything we need to live day by day. Give us what we need uh, to serve you well and to serve others well. And teach us contentment. Father, in particular, we, we pray for Anna. We pray that you would give her relief from the seizures she has had. We praise you for your providence and, 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 uh, and today being easier and better than yesterday in the past few days. We pray that would continue and that you'd give... Uh, your blessing to the doctor's appointment she has on Wednesday. We pray that you continue to bless Anna and comfort and encourage her and her family. Father, we would also remember the Duntleys. We pray for Katie and ask that you would uh, strengthen her and give her health. We pray that you'd be with the little one that she carries and have your hand on this little life and uh, bring, this, bring this child to us in your time. Pray that you give peace to her. Thank you for the grace that you've shown her and the work you've, you, you've done already in Katie and uh, the testimony she is to, to your grace. We pray that you'd also continue your, your good work in Mike and in Chloe and Landon to preserve them all through this challenging time. Father, we pray for those who continue to grieve and ask that you be their, be their comfort. We pray for those who are sick and ask that you bring healing. We pray for those who are in need, who are being strained financially, and we ask you would provide for them. Uh, we pray for those who are lonely or anxious or discouraged. We ask that you would be their friend, their comforter, their ever-present help. And Father, we pray that uh, you would teach us to forgive one another. Uh, we ask you to forgive our debts, forgive our sins, and also, Lord, make us forgiving of others. Kind tender-hearted, gentle with sinners. We know we are guilty, Lord, before you, and you have shown us such grace in Christ. And so let us not hold things against one another, but let us show the same grace we've received. 
Father, we pray uh, that you would continue to keep us from evil, that you keep us from temptation, that, uh, that, that you, would, you would strengthen our faith and keep us from any temptation, which is more than we can bear. We pray that through every temptation in your providence that comes, uh, we would depend on you and depend on the strength you give, depend on the word that you've given us to resist the evil one. And we pray you'd give us uh, the, the ability to do so. Father, we know you can do all these things for us. And we humbly trust that you will do all these things for us. Because yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. And so surely you can provide every need of ours for the sake of your fame as our God. So, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the word of God now, let's sing again. Oh, Father, you are sovereign is our next hymn. It's number 75. I'll play through the tune once, and then we'll join in together. Number 75, let's stand together. of adoption tonight, the doctrine of adoption, of course, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 34. Uh, let's confess our faith with this question and answer. I'll ask the question, and then you can respond with the answer. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace 
whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And the word of God here, Hosea chapter 1, is our Old Testament reading. Hosea chapter 1, this is God's word. Let's give it our full attention. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword or battle or by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. In our New Testament text, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things in your word. 
dig out ears for us, open our eyes, give us hearts to hear and to listen and to obey and to trust. Show us our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Show us the glories of the salvation we have in Him. Refresh us and strengthen us. Fulfill every good purpose for Your work. For us, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen. What has Christ done for you? Of all that He's done for you, what is most precious to you? Once when I was going on a short-term missions trip, an evangelistic missions trip, and I think I was in high school, it might have been early college, but I was asked to write a page about my understanding of the gospel uh, and my understanding especially of, of my Christian faith, what Christ had done for me. And um, in it, I talked a lot about the grace of God in saving me, justifying me through the imputed righteousness of Christ, um, making me alive by the Spirit of God, um, sanctifying me by His grace, by the indwelling Spirit within me. Um, talked about these things, about how He would, he would help me persevere in my faith. Um, and then uh, one of the elders, the, some of the elders read these um, one of, the, one of the elders who read it pointed out to me afterwards that while I had uh, said some good things about what Christ had done for me, there was a big piece missing. I had entirely forgotten adoption. I'd entirely forgotten about how God had made me his child, a co-heir with Christ, and uh, given me the right to approach him as a father. How could I have overlooked such a glorious truth? How could I have missed that, forgotten that? Of course, I knew it. But I'd forgotten or or overlooked it for some reason. This is some of the very sweetest and richest truth of of what it means to be a Christian. It moves us from the courtroom to the living room. Yes, adoption has a legal aspect to it. But the legal aspect is there so so that it makes the family aspect Cement it, right? right? It's, uh, it, it's, it, this is about the Father, not simply, not only justifying us, making us right before Him as a judge, but actually bringing us into a relationship with Himself, bringing us into His, into his family and giving us a place in His covenant home, inheriting everything that is His. J.F. Packer has said that if you want to know how well someone understands Christianity... Ask him what it means to be a child of the Heavenly Father. Packer writes this, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all, Packer writes. If this is true, it's fitting then that as Paul brings his argument through Romans um, to a wonderful climax in Romans chapter 8, right? he's worked through these doctrines, glorious doctrines of of our union with Christ and justification and sanctification. He brings it all to a glorious climax in chapter 8 as he talks about the, the, the Spirit's work making us sons of God, this work of adoption. What is adoption? We use the Shorter Catechism, so we've got that, we've got that right there, but uh, we, we, we understand it in, in human terms what adoption is, right? It's when uh, you take someone who's not your biological child and you make them your own child, part of your family. They become part of, of your own family. They take your name and they uh, have everything that is yours. And in the Bible, adoption is very similar to this, but it's, it's that God takes us, not naturally his children, and he brings us into his family. He takes us children of wrath, and he brings us under his fatherly grace. This is what our adoption in Christ is. But why does it matter? What, is it, what does it mean for us? Well, as Paul unpacks this doctrine in chapter 8, he, he lays out some of the glorious privileges of, of, of what this means for us. 
We're going to focus our attention on verses 14 to 23 here, and, and we're, going, we're not going to be exhaustive in these verses. To do so would require many sermons. Um, we're not going to touch on everything, but we're particularly going to be asking this question. What, 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 is it, what, what, are, what are the benefits for me here from Christ of, of my adoption? Um, uh, what, what is Christ uh, in adoption given me? There are four things in these verses that I'd like us to look together at. The first, verse 15. Our adoption means we are no longer slaves to fear. Our adoption means we're no longer slaves to fear. That's the first thing Paul draws out here, verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul contrasts the spirit of adoption, which we have now, with the spirit we used to have, which is a spirit of slavery unto fear. So before, before the spirit comes and gives us new life in Christ, we are slaves. What are we slaves to? We're slaves to, uh, Ephesians 2 says we're children of wrath. Sla- slaves under that, under the wrath of God, the curse of God. Uh, we're slaves of sin, indwelling sin, ruled us like a tyrant, a taskmaster. Uh, we were, uh, had no freedom in ourselves to do anything good. Uh, uh, we had no control over the sinful passions and desires that we had. We're also slaves under the law, apart from Christ. Right, you, we, can, we could see the, the moral standard of God's law, but we could not keep it. And it was crushing. That, all that Paul has in mind as he talks about the former slavery that we were in. We were fearful then, right? Because all of that culminates in, in death itself. And so that fear shadowed over, shadowed over uh, every aspect of our lives apart from Christ. Slaves to fear. But that's not who we are anymore. And Paul is driving this point, isn't it? saying, that's who you were. You were slaves to all these things, and so you were terrified. You lived your life in fear of all these things. But that is not who you are anymore. You haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into that old, that old, that old, that old fear, that old anxiety, that old dread of God's judgment. No, he says, you received the spirit of adoption. You're a son now. You're no longer a slave. You're a son Often in the Christian life, we can still, I think, live like we are actually slaves to fear. We wonder if we're doing enough to please the Lord. Will he be happy with me? Right? Um, or or am, am I doing enough to be sure that I'm a Christian? We, we commit sins and our sins condemn us. Or we look at our mortality. We look at death and, and we're afraid of that. I don't know if I can face it. I don't know if I can go through that faithfully. What if my faith crumbles? Before that, what, what about what might come in God's providence? What, what might lie ahead of me? It, it can be frightening. It can be fearful. We need to remember then, we're not slaves to these things. We're not slaves to fear. We're sons of a loving Heavenly Father with a spirit in us uh, as the spirit of adoption. So all that fear is, is no claim on us, right? Christ came. He, he broke the chains of that slavery. He, he, dealt, uh, he dealt with the, the wrath of God. He himself took that wrath so we wouldn't have to. He was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. Uh, he, he rose from the dead so that we would have no cause for fear of death. In Christ, we are not under a death sentence anymore, but under the grace of God. And so what place does fear have? Or yes, there's the reverence of God, but that is it in the Christian life. Nothing else we need to fear. We're sons of a loving Heavenly Father. We'll never be estranged from Him. He'll never turn against us. He won't ever send us a providence that will harm us. He loves you. Don't fear. Don't fall back into that. You're a son of God. Keep telling yourself that. That's the first thing that Paul mentions, that our adoption means. You're a son you're not a slave to fear. Second thing he draws out for us is that our adoption means we have open, open access to the Father. 
It's said of the great Princeton theologian Charles Hodge that uh, he had the doorknob of his study lowered down where his children could reach it so that any time they could come and they could reach his doorknob and come into his study so that they would know that, right, yes, daddy's busy, daddy's an important guy, he's got lots of stuff going on, but I know that I can come into his study and I can come see him uh, whenever I need to. That's what a good father does. He, he, He makes time for his children. He makes himself available to them. What about our Heavenly Father? The very name of God that is made available to us makes this point for us. Um, we are, Paul says, we get to call God Father. That is a wonderful privilege. The Old Testament saints didn't call God Father. Right? God was the Father of His people. Um, we see the idea of adoption in the Old Testament and the idea of Israel as God's son in the Old Testament. But, but Old Testament saints didn't speak to him that way. Father, it wasn't the name they used for him. He was the Lord. He was God Almighty, but he was not, he was not Father. This is something that Christ teaches us when he comes to pray like this. Um, Paul says that we are enabled to pray by the Spirit. We're enabled to pray, Abba. Father, Abba is uh, Aramaic. Father is um, is uh, from the Greek. And Paul, what is what does Paul give the the word Abba here for Father? It's the Aramaic word. This is probably the word Jesus would have used. Right? Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. That was the the, the everyday language of the, the people who lived in Israel at that time. And so Paul, I think, is saying we get to call the Father the same thing Jesus called the Father. We have the same access to Him and the same kind of relationship to Him that Jesus Christ had. That, that, that even as Jesus could call God His Father and everything that meant for Him, that's what it means for us. He is our elder brother. The Lord loves the younger brothers just as much as those who are in His Son. My grandfather um, passed away last year, and as my mother was reflecting on her dad to me in a conversation, she said a, she, she she made just one little side comment about him, and uh, it's always it stuck with me since then. She said uh, he was always happy to see us. Growing up as a, as a kid, she remembered her dad was always happy to see her, and um, it's a very simple thing, really. But what a wonderful. Legacy, that is, to leave, for a father to leave with his children. He, he was always glad to see me. Or for a child to know that their father is always delighting in them. Couldn't ask for anything better from a father than that. And, and, and Paul is saying, we get to call God Abba, Father. We have a place in his family, and that's exactly what we have from him. He's always happy to see us. Uh, he, he, he is not too busy for us. Yes, he is the sovereign king, sustaining everything by his providence, carrying along history. But the door to his throne room is open for the believer. And we can go in like a son running into his father's study, seeking his grace, seeking his help, seeking his attention, seeking his love and his care for you. There is nowhere else you belong more than there in his presence. You're his son. You have his ear. He'll listen to you. If you pray to him, he'll answer you. What higher privilege? third thing Paul says our adoption means is that we can have assurance of our salvation. Adoption means we can have assurance of our salvation. In verses 15 to 16, Paul draws out for us the way in which our adoption in Christ is a wonderful assurance to us of our salvation in Christ. Um, I often hear the question, how how do I know I'm a Christian? How, How do I really know that, that I am saved. Maybe someone's looking at their life and they say, I see this sin and I don't see the fruit that I think a Christian should have. How do, how do I know I'm not actually not yet saved? Or, or someone's saying, how, how do I know that, 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 that my repentance is real? How do I know that my faith is real? Right? We want a tangible piece of evidence, a contract signed that we can see and hold in our hand. God gives us God gives us the grace of adoption 
to be a sweet assurance to us that we are His. We see this here in the text in verse 15 again. Uh, We've already looked at this verse as it speaks to our access to the Father, uh, but it also points us to this sense of assurance. Um, Paul says this, You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now the word cry there is important to understand. In the Greek, it's kradzo, kradzo, you could say. It's, an, it's, a, it's one of those words that sounds like what it means. Kradzo, right? It's, it, it means to cry out, to shout. Uh, Luke uses it for the blind beggar crying out to Jesus in Luke 18, 35 to 39. Uh, it says this, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, Kradzo, all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's also this word, this verb, is used to describe the cry of those who shall crucify him at Jesus' death in Matthew 20, verse 30. In Revelation 12, verse 2, it describes the cry of a woman giving birth. So what kind of a cry is this? When we cry like this, Abba, Father. Well, it's a desperate cry. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. He says, Paul seems to have in mind a loud cry that issues from a situation of great need. Abba, Father, is not a restful whisper of contentment and security. It is the cry of a child who has stumbled, tripped, and fallen and is crying out for his father to come to help. It's the deepest instinct of the child in need. To cry out, to yell for your father is the deepest instinct of a child in need. So what we're seeing here is that this is what will mark every child, every true child of God. Unbelievers, when difficulty comes and need comes, they're not going to cry out, Abba, Father. They might cry out to some vague God, but they're not going to have that childlike instinct of immediately running to their Father. Paul is saying this is the work of the Spirit. Only the Spirit produces this in us. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's saying the Spirit bears witness with us, enabling us to cry out, Abba, Father, giving us this instinct of running to God as our Father in our time of need. So if this is our instinct, it's because of Him. And so this is a mark of our assurance for us, a mark of our salvation. If your instinct, your deepest instinct when need comes is to cry out for your Father, it's a sign that you belong to Him, that you are a child of Him. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking, well, if I'm honest, that's not my instinct sometimes. Maybe much of the time, it's not your instinct. You run to someone else first or something else first. Does that mean you're not a Christian? Do you want it to be your instinct? Is it your instinct sometimes? Those are good signs. Pray it would be your instinct more. This is the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And this is one of the great blessings of our adoption, uh, that we get this sense of assurance. And we can run to God like that in our desperate need. The fourth thing that Paul draws out for us, our adoption means we have an eternal inheritance. We've seen that adoption means we're no longer slaves to the things that held us in fear's grip, right? We're not slaves to sin or the law or the wrath of God or to death. We've been freed from all these things and made sons. Uh, We've seen that our adoption means we get open access to the Father through His Son. And it means that we have a wonderful sense of assurance with the witness of the Spirit in our hearts. But there's one more piece Paul brings out. Our adoption means we have an eternal inheritance. This is, of course, what adoption means, right? Among other things. It means you get the inheritance. You have a part in it. Um, Now, Paul here is uh, making the point, I think, that uh, we get this inheritance, but it's not really our inheritance at all. 
It's Christ's inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ. He tells us that it's only as we're co-heirs with Christ, as we suffer with him, and then we're glorified with him, that we get this inheritance. It's really his. It all belongs to him. But he's not saying it's, it's, it's Christ's inheritance and he's going to split it with you. He gets three-fourths, you get a quarter, uh, or you split up the rest with the rest of the saints. But we, we get all of it. We all get all of his inheritance. Everything that comes to Christ as his inheritance comes to the church of Christ. Come to the co-heirs, the sons of God. What does Christ inherit? He inherits a glorious inheritance. But the road to that inheritance is one of suffering. We see this in verse 17. He tells us there, Paul tells us that we uh, will uh, receive glory with him if we suffer with him. So this is the first stage, and then we also get this as sons. This is also a mark of being a son, receiving the discipline of God's providence. Just like Christ walking under the sometimes smarting rod of his providence as he disciplines us, the valley of humiliation that we go through. Uh, this, this includes everything in our lives that's painful and difficult. Um, it's not a mark of God's disfavor, but actually a mark of being a son. And Paul says, if we suffer in union with Christ, we'll also be glorified and receive the inheritance in union with Christ. Does this mean, as he's talking about this, and pointing us to a future inheritance, that it's all future? It is primarily so. But he does say, we already taste the first fruits of it. Verse 23. Look with me there, if you would. He says that we already have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even as we groan in the midst of uh, our waiting for the full inheritance, we get the first fruits. Now, what are, what are first fruits? What do they mean? The first thing is that you get to taste them. Right? You get to taste, not the full harvest yet, but you taste the first bit of it. And it's sweet, and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real, present, sweet taste of what's coming. So Paul is saying, you have a taste of the inheritance even now. You get it in the Spirit in you. He, he is the Spirit of the new creation. He's a Spirit of, of resurrection life, and He's already in you. In your union with Christ, He fills you with a sweet taste of the glories of the age that's to come. But the first fruits aren't just a foretaste of what's coming. They're also a promise, a guarantee of what's coming. If you have the spirit of adoption, then you have a guarantee from God that you will persevere, that you will receive the full, the full harvest that's coming. The spirit is sometimes called the guarantee or the down payment of what's to come. Guaranteeing, God guaranteeing us that the rest must come. It cannot fail to come. What is the inheritance, the rest of it, that is coming? It's, as we said, nothing less than what Christ himself will inherit. Uh, two things stand out here in Romans 8 that Christ will inherit. The first is in verses 20 to 22, we see that we're going to, uh, that the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth because God is going to bring forth a new creation. Uh, verse 21 says the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. The creation is going to be made new. It's going to be raised up, glorified even, made a new heavens and a new earth. This is Christ's inheritance then. It's, it's the, the new heavens, new earth, the new creation, and all its glory and all its beauty. So that's the first thing we see. This is our inheritance. Everything made new, everything restored, a perfect dwelling place for God and His people to dwell together. The second piece is resurrection life. Verse 23, not only that, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Adoption, like every blessing Christ gives, is already not yet. Every, every benefit of our salvation is this in some sense. Even our justification is already not yet. Sanctification, already not yet. All of them. Glorification as well. But, but our adoption here we see is already begun, but not yet completed. There's more ahead. Your very bodies will be adopted. Your very bodies will be raised up in Jesus 
on the last day. Paul already addressed this a little bit in Romans 8, verse 11. We didn't read this, but if you have the text, you see there in verse 11, he says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit of resurrection life is already in us. How will we not be raised up in our very bodies on the last day? This is the crown jewel of our inheritance. It is, as Paul says, in this hope we were saved. This hope of resurrection. And we will be forever with the Lord, face to face, in uninterrupted communion with Him. It's marvelous, all that our adoption means. Makes you wonder, all this for a sinner like me, All this for one like myself who's been so rebellious against him. There's a story from the Korean War that illustrates this so uh, really, really well. Um, There was a Korean pastor who had two young sons who were murdered by a communist soldier. Uh, The soldier was later on trial for their murder, and he was found guilty. But this Korean pastor asked that the man be released. He wanted to adopt him. And he did. He adopted him, this man who murdered his sons. And the man became a Christian through it. Right? We are astounded by that display of grace. But that is just a picture of what God has done. Going after his enemies. Going after those who have been unfaithful to him. Those who have, who have fought against him. Those who murdered his son. We see this in Hosea 1, which we read as our Old Testament reading, right? God is addressing his people as a prostitute. They've, they've run after other gods, committed spiritual adultery over and over and over. But he says in verse 10 of Hosea 1, it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. His grace is astounding reaching out to sinners, making them sons. It's marvelous mercy. How could he do this? Welcome sinners into his holy presence. Right? How, can he, how can any of this glorious adoption be ours? It's because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, Paul has already been talking about this in Romans 8. and uh, if, if we look at the wider context there, we see that everything he's saying here comes to us in Christ. We've been saying this uh, a lot recently, right? That, that all the benefits of our salvation are ours in union with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true of adoption as well. It's because of Christ. It's because He's the, the true and perfect Son of God. And God adopts Jesus as His righteous Son and welcomes Him into His presence and says, this is my beloved Son. With Him I am well pleased. It's because we're in Christ that the spirit of adoption comes into us makes us sons. There's a book that's titled Sons in the Son. Aptly so. We are sons in Christ. Paul draws this out. Listen to Romans um, uh, Romans 8, verses 9 to 10. Notice how Paul moves in these verses from talking about the Spirit to talking about the Spirit of God to talking about the Spirit of Christ to then simply talking about Christ and seeming to equate all of them. He says, he says this, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's the point I want you to see, loved ones, from that. It's that before Paul begins talking about the adoption, the glories of it, that he's going to talk in just a second in the text, before he describes the Spirit as the Spirit of adoption in verse 15, he describes the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. He begins with our union with our Savior. It's in Christ that the Spirit for us is the Spirit of adoption because it's in the Son that I am a Son and that He is my Father. It's in Christ that His grace overflows to us. It's in Christ that He welcomes us, cleansed of all our sins, purged, uh, all, all that taken away, made righteous in His sight, forgiven, welcomed into His presence as His children forever. 
So, loved ones, what has Christ done for you? And what is most precious to you about his work on your behalf? Remember this among it, that you're adopted, that you have a Father in heaven who loves you with an unchangeable, everlasting love, who's freed you from all fear, from slavery to sin and death, who's given you open access to his presence, given you the right to cry out to him, Abba, Father, given you sweet assurance that you belong in his family and who has promised you an eternal inheritance, even resurrection life. Rest in that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us in Christ. And particularly tonight, we thank you for the glories of our adoption, that you've taken us, sinners and slaves, and made us your sons and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would find great comfort and encouragement in these things, and that we would live as sons and live as those who are free, not as those who are slaves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, closing hymn tonight is New Words, but a familiar tune. Number 242 in the Psalter hymnal. I'll play through the tune once, and then we'll join in. Please stand, and we'll sing together. chosen us in love, and that love so deep, so moving, draws us close to Christ above. Still it keeps us firmly fixed in Christ alone. Though the world may change its fashion, you will still remain the same. Your compassion and your covenant through all ages will remain. Your own children shall forever praise your name. Your compassion is our story, is our boasting all the day. Mercy free and never failing, moves our will, directs our way. God so loved us that he gave his only Son. Last verse. Loving Father, now before you we shall ever sing your grace, and our song will sound forever when we see you face to face, giving glory. To the Lamb upon the throne. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Did you try that? I love it. I love it. Did you, is that the church or our house? I would like to keep them. 
I would very much like to keep them. Let me just shut this down, okay? Eddie, Eddie, that's not quite polite.